Well, welcome. I am deeply honored and uh, thankful for my class. Um, actually, when I found out that all my classmates selected me to speak today, I didn't know if I should be honored or terrified. <laughs> I'm a little bit of both. <laughs> so hold on, it's gonna be a little bit of a bumpy ride, so. But uh, Reverend Legrone assured me that it was a good thing. Of course, the reverends don't lie, right? There <laughs> we go. What an incredible opportunity to come and speak before you, uh, my peers, my professors, my staff, my boss, my friends, my Indiana crew. Uh, wow, I'm just blessed beyond measure. So today I want to talk about perseverance. Perseverance is not stationary, it's active. Sometimes when we look back at the hardest trials that we've been through, we can bless God for the things we were once murmuring to him about. So with that, I'm going to tell you all a little bit about myself. In the beginning, God created man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he did create man, and out of that came my mom and dad, and I am the youngest of ten children. Yes, you heard me right. I have nine siblings. Um, so that was a lot growing up, just having nine siblings, but um, we had some family friends who would come when I was little and take us to VBS and would take us to church and stuff because uh, our family wasn't very, we didn't go to church. We weren't very Christian or anything, I guess. Um, so I knew about God and Jesus, but I wasn't committed at that age. My dad was an alcoholic and that created a lot of tension in our relationship. And there was a lot of conflict and fear and shame. And my dad was at time abusive. So my home was not always a safe place. With that in school, I was involved in any kind of after school program or sport that I could be. So I didn't have to be at home too much. Um, and through all that time, all the way up through my senior year of high school, there were many people that poured into my life through uh, being involved in ministries and things that kind of helped keep me on the straight and narrow. But I was always waiting for that proverbial shoe to drop. Does anybody know about that shoe up here? It just hangs there. You're waiting for this, like, waiting for them to just say, but you're not good enough, Linda. I lived in constant fear of rejection. And then later in life, I started sensing a deeper call and commitment to the Lord. But there was so much shame and hurt from my past, I wasn't sure that I could get through it. But I knew that in order to start growing, I had to persevere in faith and start processing my feelings from my past. And let me tell you, nobody wants to do that. That's hard work. Shame, fear, guilt, the inner critic, Mine was super loud. You're not good enough. You can't do this. You're, you come from nothing. You're not going to make it. So the pull to stay in my box was so strong that I, li I lived as a surface Christian for many years. I really committed my life to the Lord when I was 16, but it was many years after that before I realized 
the love of God and how deep, deeply he cared for me. And it really probably wasn't until 2012 when I had moved to Indiana after my mom passed and I attended an Emmaus walk. So, and I experienced the love of God in a whole new way. And I knew then that I had to go back and fight through each of these emotions and surrender them to God. It's hard to know how to speak about the unspeakable because shame at times could just grab hold of my heart and life because of my past, and I let it. I would just clam up and put that lock back on the door of my heart. No, I can't do that. I can't let that out. And when you live around irrational anger, my dad was a very irrational man. You eventually begin to blame yourself, and you think that it's your job to keep the peace, which I did most of my life. People in my life started talking about what they saw in me, and I'd look at them and say, where do you see that? I don't see that in there. I didn't see what they were talking about. I couldn't see it. Among the, it was just buried under all the shame. And come to find out, it was that little girl inside of me that was longing to be loved. And by the time I got to Asbury in 2017, she was ready to climb out from under all that heaping piles of shame. So when I arrived at Asbury, I had missed NSO. I came a little bit late. Um, So I didn't get to meet a lot of people prior to moving into the dorm. There was a slight housing arrangement thing, and that day I remember calling my sister and my friend (laughs) in Indiana and saying, "Mm -mm, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm coming back. (laughs) It's a three-hour ride. I didn't unpack anything. I just turned around and come back. No big deal. I I made a mistake. I wasn't hearing from the Lord right or something. (laughs) Um, But then my chaplain, my first year in Orlean, Orlean Dorm, Orlean Strong, baby. Yeah. Uh, she came out, and we were talking, and she's like, I really think you're supposed to be here. So you can stay in my room until we figure this out. Well, I ended up staying in that room for three years. <laughs> Praise God. Um, I really didn't know the community that I was stepping into. I thought I was just coming for the education, just to be get that little letters after my name so I could be a chaplain in a jail or something, you know. And uh, then we had women's, a women's communion event that week. And I remember walking in and sitting way over by the window in the student center, you know, I had chairs set up, and I'm like, I'm sitting way over here out of the way. Uh, I didn't really know anybody because I missed NSO, so I was kind of sitting there. And uh, I didn't want anybody to notice me, honestly, but there was one lady who did. Jessica Legron was leading communion. She was talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, wow, what is that? I don't even know what that is. What's that mean? And then she looked right at me while she was talking. She's got her hands out like this. She's like, looked right over at me, and I'm like, I didn't do it. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, Lord, what's going to happen? Um... So I, in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, could she, like, see my shame and my fear of not belonging here because I didn't fit in? 
Jessica came over and talked to me afterwards, and in my mind, I'm saying, oh my gosh, what am I going to say to this lady? I don't know. Why? I just wanted to go back to my dorm and get back in my room, you know? So she talked, and just immediately, I opened my mouth to say something, and next thing I know, the words come out. Uh, I'm looking for, like, a support group. Okay, let's just start right out that way, Linda. Um... So she told me about Healing Academy, and that I should email Peg Hutchins. But I should do it tonight, because it starts tomorrow morning, Saturday morning, okay? So I did that, thinking I'll never get in, but 7.30 that morning, I checked my email. I was invited to join Healing Academy. <laughs> I had a half hour to get ready and get over there, find the building at that, because I, I missed everything. So I got there, and Healing Academy was a place that I learned about God's healing, his healing love, and I got practical experience in healing prayer for myself and for others. I had no idea what to expect, but it became a place for me to dig deep into my soul and begin the process of removing shame, fear, and guilt. Being in that class also led me to get involved in a Wesley band when I was asked at first, I said, no, I don't play any instruments. I'm good. <laughs> I got a lot of homework to do. I'm not going to have time to practice, is what I was thinking. And then, uh, then Jess Kennedy explained to me what this band thing was all about. And I was like, oh, you want me in your group? Why? I have nothing. But that band group has been going for four years. And I'm so grateful for these women. Jess and Grace and Jen Jones, who graduated last year. And we still go. We meet every week, Zoom, and uh, it's an awesome thing. If you're not in a group, you need to get in a DNA group. That's what they're called today. Uh, they ch it changed my life. It was a game changer for me, having that accountability with my peers to be able to share and just share. No judgment. And they pray for you like nothing. So keep, get involved, please. Um, and I'm looking, to, I'm looking forward to many more years as the Wesley women, as we call ourselves. Just to allow the Holy Spirit to pour out on you in those groups. As you share, allow the Holy Spirit to heal and take those things that you lay before him. I also have an incredible group of friends back in Indiana. A few of them are here today. Woo. It's awesome. They're my accountability and encouragement crew there. Um, I remember one time I was working on a master's and I went over to Rhonda's house for Bible study and after Bible study she's like, so you got any homework to do? I'm like, I got some reading to do. Okay, bye. <laughs> I can't stay and commune, uh, commune with you? No, nope, you got to go do your homework. <laughs> okay, thanks. Love you. <laughs> so I knew I needed community when I moved to Indiana the year after my mom died. And they have stuck with me through this journey. Some I just met four years ago, five years ago. And they are faithful, and I'm grateful for them also. Through them and through the new friends I've met here at Asbury, God was showing me that I could not do this season alone. 
I had to risk being vulnerable, and that was hard. But being vulnerable didn't feel like a blessing. It felt like a trial. And as long as I allowed shame and fear to run rampant, Satan didn't bother me. I was doing the work for him. I wasn't reading my Bible every day. But the moment that I began to share my shame, my fears, it made more room for God's love to move in. And through God's love, I grew in perseverance and strength. By surrendering those things and letting people in to help me carry my load. Now, it also put me on Satan's radar. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> he, it was everywhere. Everywhere I went, Satan was right there with me now, because now he's scared that I might learn something and grow and be strong. And the battle began. My inner critic was telling me that I couldn't change who I was, that the testing was more than I could bear, it's more than I could bear, alone. Did you hear that? We cannot bear our burdens alone. We're not called to do it alone. I had to let endurance grow in me until I became more mature and effective. So I started opening the doors and windows to get rid of my old identity. And then God was moving in too. So God came in and he's like, well, doors and windows aren't enough. He took the whole roof off. <laughs> then the walls started coming down. And I was like, I don't know what to do with this person. I don't even know who this is anymore. And uh, shame and fear and guilt are no match for Jesus. But I had to do my part. And in faith, allow truth to be spoken over the lies. I had to actively reject the lies and receive God's truth of my identity. Maybe some of you feel the same way. Maybe someone here listening today is fighting a battle that others don't know about. Maybe you're trying to make it through on your own. I could do this, I don't have to tell anybody and nobody will know. God can take the hopelessness you feel and bring you hope. He can take the loneliness and bring you into community. Jesus is knocking at the door, waiting patiently for you to open. Open the door. Take that lock off. Let him in. He himself comes with a host of other followers. I think like everybody in this room has probably made an impact in my life in some way or another, honestly. Um, even if it's just a hug or a smile, makes a huge impact in a person's life. Changes their thinking about themselves. God knew it would take a village, a few villages in my case, Indiana, Kentucky, you know, to change my stinking thinking. I had to let it go. I was not who I thought I was. But the identity that I'm learning to live into is that I am a daughter of the Most High King. And he loves me no matter what. We all face seasons in our lives when we seem to be weaker than usual, especially when God asks us to step out of our box, right? 
<laughs> Come out here for a little bit further away. Oh. And then you're out here and you're like, I don't know how to get back to my box. What do I do? I, I'm like, I'm lost. Who do I go to? I don't know. And God says, I'm right here beside you. I will go with you. This is where our band, our DNA groups, spiritual direction and community come alongside us and help carry the load. Galatians 6.2, we're commanded, bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We can't help you bear a burden if we don't know about it. A burden shared is a burden halved. The main text that was read today out of James is that shows us that James knew a lot about trials. In verse 4, James says, that in the midst of our trials, we should consider it nothing but joy. <laughs> Lord God, you're kidding me? You want me to consider all that joy? No, I did not want to consider my past nothing but joy. There were times that it was a living hell. So much so that at the age of 16, my senior year in high school, I moved out so that I could continue in school and get good grades and be able to go on to college. And who knew that at 49, I'd end up at Asbury because I went to college, because I made that decision to move out. In Hebrews 12, we are told that Jesus persevered and endured the cross, disregarding its shame for the joy that was set before him. As athletes train, they add weights to their workout to build strength and endurance and then, when, then they lay aside those weights when it's time to run the race, keeping their eyes fixed on the finish line. The weights build endurance, yes, but they don't carry those weights when they run the race, when they run far and fast, right? They got to let it go or they wouldn't make it. It's the same for us as Christians. Our struggles can push us to grow in faith, but if we don't lay them down, we're not going to make it very far. God does not want us to carry our burdens forever. Our race will be long and hard. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every burden, and sin that clings so closely to us, and let us run with perseverance the race set before us. For many of us, the race set before us now is moving into a new ministry, maybe moving into the unknown, but we got to keep moving, right? we got to persevere. Perseverance is not stationary. It's active. we got to keep going. Jesus has already crossed that finish line. That's how we know we can endure the race, by keeping our eyes on him. Verse 2 in Hebrews 12 says that Jesus endured the cross for the sake of the joy set before him. What joy did Jesus see beyond the cross? I believe it was redemption. A deep abiding sense of happiness that filled the heart of Jesus that could not be taken away from him. He knew that in the midst of suffering, sadness, and affliction, that true joy 
can manifest its power when we set our hearts to follow the will of God. Yeah, we all come here with what we think is the will of God. We need to lay it down. We need to continue to let our endurance grow. Back to James 1. My dear sisters and brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Even though I couldn't see it then, God was strengthening and growing me to be able to endure the ministries that he's put me in. I became involved in helping lead a REC community in county jails. I never thought I'd be on a board of anything like that. REC is Residence Encounter Christ. And we take that Emmaus weekend, basically into a jail for a weekend. And the first time I went, me and my friend Angie, she's not here, but I believe she's watching. Hi, Angie. Um, we were sitting back there just doing PowerPoint stuff on a computer. But what was happening in front of us just blew our minds. We had to sit there like this because otherwise we were like, no, come on. Just. It was incredible the work that God was doing in these women. I couldn't believe it. I was like, mm-hmm, this is what I'm doing the rest of my life right here. These women who were hopeless at the end of their rope, lost their kids, families turning on them. Yeah, they need to know the love of Jesus, right? So that was an awesome ministry to be in. I plan on getting back involved in that when I'm done here. <laughs> um, also being a student chaplain here on campus. Great opportunity for ministry. Getting to know and meet and talk and pray with, with you and for you and you pray for me and with me. Is, this, this relationship went back and forth. And, you know, they say I, I could write down time for meeting with people. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I should write that down because I was blessed probably just as much as they were. And I'm like, I guess it's blessed to get paid to do what you love to do, right? But uh, just know that none of you were a trial case. None of you, I just met with you because you, I got paid. That's way not, way not the case because they certainly don't pay me enough. <laughs> just kidding, Dr. Tanner. <laughs> And then becoming a, be, realizing that God's calling me really to be a hospital chaplain. That's a whole nother avenue. Seeing people in their pain and families who are losing loved ones and not the unknown if their loved one's going to make it. Oh. Yeah. God used all of that. In all of these positions, I'm able to use situations from my past to help others feel at ease and to know that they're not alone in their pain and their struggle. And that through faith and perseverance, God will redeem the past. And he will fill us with joy unspeakable as he had me, as he has me. Many, many trials this last couple of years. Lots of loss in my life. Family, close friends. Um, I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? I can't, I can't take another loss. And uh, yeah, they just kept coming. Just recently, just in February, another one. Um, I think I was up to 16 in the last two years. Uh, mostly family and very close friends. It's not just like an acquaintance that I knew. This was somebody deep, close to me. 
And I didn't know, I didn't know if I was going to make it. But this community came around me. I could call anyone in this room right now and say, hey, man, I'm struggling. I don't know where God is in all of this. And then I go into a hospital ministry where you see death every day. And I'm like, Lord, what? So I know God has prepared me to be able to help families face their pain and their struggle. Isaiah 51.3 says, For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. Any of you that know me know I love to sing, right? I got a little tune for about any word you can give me. (laughs) But I won't try not to do it here today. We'll see. (laughs) The joy of the Lord is my strength. I love to hear people laugh. I love smiles, laughter, the joy of the Lord. Uh, Laughter is uh, the best medicine, you know. And I would try to get my patients in the hospital to even laugh. That was kind of fun. (laughs) You know, they all come in really sad, but then I come in and you know, we do, we do laugh, so. Um, I had, but I had to decide how much I was going to trust God through all of this. God has brought many people into my life to share my burden. Many, many people. There's my inner circle, of course, of the ones who get the deep, deep stuff. And then when I'm just struggling and need prayer, I can reach out. And, you know, it just goes further. I could probably call a couple countries even and have people pray for me. And uh, so I had to choose, but I could continue to carry it all myself or let others in. I chose to, I choose to walk in perseverance with my friends around me rather than walking alone and dragging my past with me. And choosing perseverance and strengthening my resolve and to, to continue to grow my faith is how I've survived seminary and the countless trials and losses. Just a couple more points, one, one more big point, and then I'll close. Back to James 1 and verse 4, it says, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. God does amazing work inside of us in the midst of suffering. God's mission is to make people whole. I had to persevere and stop resisting God's work in my life. Perseverance is not stationary, it's active. And when we work through a trial with perseverance, we attain God's purpose for those trials in our lives. Asbury family, I want to thank you for the ways that you saw me and continually poured into my life. I was at the edge of my own healing because I didn't want to keep digging things up and not know what to do with it. Asbury is a community that cares. As important as the academics are, your formation is worth much more than the academics. Please allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and cooperate with that work. Seminary is not easy, and I'm not talking about the homework. The formational work is hard but lasting. So in closing, today as we turn our hearts to the Lord's table, 
where we come to celebrate God's redemptive work, I want to invite you to a time of prayer. Is there any place of shame or battle that you're experiencing? Is there anything you need to give over to the Lord? Don't wait. Find someone today and share that burden. I'm going to be praying for you as you pray. God will not leave us alone with our problems. He will stay close by and help you grow. Let it grow, Asbury. Let it grow. Amen.